Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Fuchs. Right up front. Younger fan inside of the net. is now in. Happy Monday to you, and we get ready for game number one, Stanley Cup semifinals, Fortress T-Mobile Arena. It's all going down 6 o'clock tonight. If you got a ticket, oh yeah, you're a lucky one. Enjoy the festivities tonight. If not, uh, get to watch it on television. NBC Sports Network will have the coverage there. 6 o'clock face-off. I'll be there. VGK Frank will be there. We'll hype it up for you, and we'll talk about it as the Montreal Canadiens come to town. Game one tonight, VGK in Montreal. Still cannot get used to this, though. All right. The semifinals that we're, we're dealing with a Canadian team coming here in the semifinals, and we know everything is, is backwards, but it's, it's still weird. It just has that strange feeling for two reasons. One is because we're having a Canadian team, an Eastern Conference team, here for the semifinals. But then no one in that division, that Canadian division, was good enough really to be in the postseason. So, well, I mean, Edmonton and Toronto had two very good regular seasons. But once again, when playoff time comes, they don't play physical enough. They don't have the, the goaltending that gets it done. And they basically bow out after the first round. Uh, Winnipeg, I thought, had a decent team, but Shifley got the big suspension for four games. Uh, Stasny was injured for a good part of the series. That's two of their top three centers on the team that are out. That's a big blow to any team out there. Connor Hellebuck is a quality goaltender, but he couldn't do it by himself. And for the Canadians, although they didn't have a very good regular season, I think Vegas had 23 more points than them in the regular season. They were the lowest seed of any team going to the playoffs this year. They had fewer points and fewer wins than anybody else, but that's why they call the playoffs the second season. Carey Price is caught in fire, and they haven't trailed in a game for quite some time now. So, you know, they're playing pretty well. Uh, I don't think they're playing well enough. I still think they're only going to the semifinal round because of the fact that somebody from Canada had to be there. Could Carey Price steal a game? He absolutely could. Can he steal four of them? That's a lot to ask for because the guy at the other end, Marc-Andre Fleury, certainly isn't a slouch. Everybody says Carey Price is the best goalie in the NHL. Players say it all the time. If he had one goalie for one game, who would it be, Carey Price? That was probably true four or five years ago. I'm not sure that it actually does hold true anymore. We'll find out. They're playing well. They just swept Winnipeg. Price, I think, has given up, what, 12 goals in the last uh, nine games or whatever? I mean, he's been absolutely on fire. 11 games. He's given up 12 goals. And, you know, when you look at Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price, they're, they're two of the same. They're both grizzly veterans. They've been around a long time, both very, very successful. And, you know, Price's record is 8-3 and three in those 11 games in, in the postseason. 315 saves. 
and has actually faced more shots and has more saves than Marc-Andre Fleury. So, yeah, you can make the case. I don't know. You know, we start getting to this, okay, who's the best goaltender? And we've, we've talked a little bit about that with the Vezina and this and that. I mean, bottom line is Montreal, not only can they win a game, they can win several games. Could they win the series? I, hey, at this point in time, you just never know because, as you know, you can ride a hot goalie is through an entire season, through an entire postseason. You, you can do that. And if Montreal has any shot, it's going to start, I think, with, with Carey Price and end with him. I mean, if he's on fire and he can stop the attack of the Golden Knights, it would not surprise me if we have ourselves a series. It's funny because, you know, from a betting perspective, it's, it's very long odds. The Golden Knights, a 260 favorite in game one tonight. The series opened back on Friday at uh, at minus four fifty. It's now got bet up to minus five oh five. So yeah, all I knew it the, was minus five hundred. Yeah. So. so all of all of the money is, is is pouring in here, and I think a lot of people are thinking, yeah, foregone conclusion that the Golden Knights are, are going to roll with this thing. But you know, when we really break it down, we're going to do a lot of uh, of breaking this uh, series down, especially game one tonight. When a team is rested and they're focused and they're riding a hot hot goalie, I think, hey. You know, don't be surprised if Montreal comes in and plays exceptionally well tonight and maybe even wins game one. It's possible, and maybe that's why that number is only 260 when the series price is around $5, because I think the, the odds makers do think that they maybe have a shot, although 260 is still a no, pretty that's good— steep. I yeah. mean, yeah. No, it, it's steep, but not for what you would think over—I I know I read someplace and heard that this is the biggest— discrepancy as far as a money line bet goes on a series ever at this point of the playoffs in in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, I mean, Vegas is a huge favorite, and there's a lot of reasons for it. The one thing, and we say it all the time, and it certainly wasn't necessarily the case in the Colorado series, you know, the first goal is important. Montreal hasn't trailed in a game in, like, the last five or six games. I think they have the second longest streak in the history of playoff hockey right now, and, of course, it's still an active streak because they haven't trailed a game. So, obviously, they're very, very good front runners. They're kind of built that way. You know, if Nick Suzuki or Armia or one of the other players for them can get a goal, they can be tough to catch. As a matter of fact, they haven't been caught. Winnipeg couldn't do it to them. So, but... Can they get the first goal against Vegas? Because although Connor Hellebuck is a good goaltender in Winnipeg, I think Marc-Andre Fleury is also playing at that next level right now. He's been absolutely sensational. Vegas isn't going to freak out if Montreal gets the first goal. If Montreal does get the first goal, look for them to really go into a defensive type of a game and basically say, okay, can you beat Carey Price now? Like you mentioned, Price has faced more shots than Marc-Andre Fleury. But I'm not sure about the quality of shots that he's faced necessarily. His team has kind of sat back. They get in that little zone in front of the ice, and they go, let's see if you can beat them. And it hasn't happened yet. But I'm not sure, even though Toronto's a good team, I'm not sure that they face the firepower. Or Actually, it was at Edmonton that they faced in the first round. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was yeah. Well, no, no, it was it was Toronto. It was Toronto. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're Toronto, then they beat Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah. and so they closed the season with a couple of games against Edmonton. So yeah. you might be thinking so, about that. But I mean, and again, those teams have offensive firepower, but not in the playoffs. It seems like they wilt every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carey Price is is playing very well right now, and he might be looking at this as you know what, this might be my best shot again to win a Stanley Cup. They have some young talent. To me, it looks like maybe Montreal is a little bit ahead of their schedule, kind of like we said about Minnesota in the first round that they were ahead of their schedule. But I don't know that you would say that after the regular season. Again, they were the fourth seed. Somebody else had to go to the playoffs. They've caught fire at a good time. And like I said, they're very good front runners. 
I'm curious to see what happens when they trail in a game because I can't believe they're going to get out to the first goal and just ride that to victory every game against the Vegas Golden Knights, as deep as they are, as talented as they are, and the way Marc-Andre Fleury's playing. You know, that was a seven-game series that Montreal went through with, with Toronto. Uh, barely, you know, squeaking by in that series. A lot of very close games. And then, you know, Winnipeg, they, they sweep them, you know, 4 nothing here. So, and again, a lot of that, like you said, is the Shifley injury. Or does that well, mean... Well, the suspension. I mean, the suspension, I should say. Yeah, correct. Um, or does that mean that, uh, that Montreal just, they figured it out and, and they're on a roll right now? Because it, even with the Shifley suspension, I mean, to come in there and they just didn't win that series. It seemed like they dominated. They dominated. They, 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 they owned them. It, thoroughly dominated. It, it almost looked like Winnipeg, once Shifley got yeah. suspended, like they gave up. Yeah. Which I didn't understand. You're still playing the last team to get in the playoffs this year. Montreal was far from a juggernaut. Yeah, they have Carey Price and they have some nice young pieces, but, I mean, they're not a team that you look at and you look at their roster and you go, oh, we can't beat these guys. You know, there's a reason that they were the longest shot to win the Stanley Cup, I think, when the playoffs started. Mm-hmm. You know, in that series against Toronto, too, they lost three games in a row. I believe it was like two, games two, three, and four. Yeah, and they've been on a roll ever since yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. So they've been on a, a nice little Yeah, so streak. they've won basically seven in a row. Right, so. exactly. Yeah, so. Yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're playing very well, and Carey Price, Carey Price is a quality goaltender. Make no mistake about it. And could, like I say, could he steal a game or two? He absolutely can. Yeah. I think at this point in time, and anybody who watches the NHL on a regular basis We'll tell you that you, you cannot just pencil somebody into the next round. You just can't do it, especially at this level with a team that has a very good, I'd say a great goaltender and has won seven games in a row. And they're rested as well, too. They don't have fatigue. They don't have to worry about playing you know, uh, Jake Allen, their backup goalie. They don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And, and Jake Allen's you know? not the worst backup goalie no. in the world, either. Yeah. But my point is... No, no. Yeah. Know, no I'm, I'm just saying, I'm like, a, 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 heaven forbid, if something happens to Carey Price, their odds go up even more. Yeah. But Allen's been decent, but there's a reason he's a backup. Yeah. So a lot of fans, especially this season, are not going to probably know too much about the Canadians because y- you faced... Just, you know, this quirky schedule where you're just playing the same teams over and over and over again. And, you know, now with, with Montreal coming to town, we remember when Montreal would, would, would come here, you know, maybe once or twice a season, and they would bring those Habs fans, and they yeah, were crazy. Yeah, I think crazy. it's only been once a year because of yeah. the, where they play that. I think right. this, they've only been to the team over three times. I, exactly, yeah, yeah. So, Last year, of course, with the bubble in it, they weren't here. This right. year, they weren't here. So. But we know how well those fans travel. You know, again, that uh, even though they're, you know, 3,500 miles away or whatever that crazy number is. But there are a lot of, of transplanted fans that, you know, again, you know, when you're talking about the Canadians, I mean, you're, you're talking about the Green Bay Packers, you're talking about the New York Yankees. That's, that's the, the love and lore that you have with this type of franchise. So it will well, be interesting to see how many of those fans are actually going to be there tonight or actually can get tickets. Now, if they are going to show up tonight, they have paid a very pretty penny you know, and there's people that live in L.A. or Vegas or surrounding areas that will make the trip here. But how many Canadian fans will actually be in the building? That's, that's, that's something I'm looking forward to seeing, too. I'm not sure. And, and if they are, I don't know how many will be from Montreal because I know they still have right. a lot of travel that's restrictions there. Yeah. Yeah. The team still has to fly charter. From what I understand, even the media that are coming to town to cover them, they have to stay quarantined in their hotel rooms. They can't, they're coming to Vegas and can't go out of their hotel rooms. So there's still a lot of things. I'm not sure that an average fan can even make that trip. 
So it might be somebody else. But remember this, too. Montreal is not only playing for Montreal now. They're playing for all of Canada because Canada has a tendency to, when their home team gets knocked out, they root for everybody else that's Canadian. And then if all the Canadian teams are knocked out, they start rooting for the teams with the most Canadian players on them because that's how much they love hockey up there. The one exception to that sometimes is the Canadians. As much as they're loved in Montreal, like I know in Quebec – they do not like the Montreal Canadiens. Canadians, yeah. uh, uh, I said. Yeah. Yeah. Canadians. But um, but so you know, it is interesting. I'm curious to see how that breakdown is going to be too. Because even in the Colorado series, when Grubauer made some saves, and obviously he didn't make enough of them for the Avalanche fans, but we heard Grubauer. Yes. Yeah. You could hear that in the crowd. I'm not sure what the crowd is going to be like, and Montreal fans aren't afraid to travel. I just don't know if they're allowed to. Yeah, and the thing about it is, in order for these fans to show up, I and mean, again, I'm I'm not thinking they're coming across the border. I'm just thinking that the ones that are down here in the it, states or it, something it, that are exactly, come, yeah, exactly that have the jerseys are going to show up and and, and and come. But it's not going to be like a regular season game where you know well in advance. And again, like in the past, you can travel over the border and you plan your vacations and all that sort of thing. So you got that working against you. But you've got the fact that you know you've got basically 18,000 season ticket holders in order for them to uh, Canadian fans to get those tickets, they're going to have to sell them. They're going to have to sell them on the secondary market, which, you know, these guys take the vow that they're not supposed to do and they don't do. But again, it won't be like a regular season game. It won't be like a regular season game from like three or four years ago when the franchise was still new. Now you're at the point where this is truly home ice advantage, just not in theory, you know, sleeping in your own bed, but these fans are rabid and more and more fans are not giving up their tickets and they're more entrenched in this organization and this franchise and this team and especially the way they're playing this year. So I would expect to see very little, you know, Canadian uh, sweaters and jerseys and fans, but just because of the rich tradition and it is a playoff game, I'm thinking maybe a little bit more than, than Colorado. But it'll be interesting to see that that fraction. And and there were some Colorado fans there. there I was were. actually surprised that there were little airism in that. But it, it, I, I have a feeling that you might see more of the Canadian sweaters at Beer House and at the park and at the other places around there because, like you say, maybe they won't be able to get in there. I'm not sure you're going to see them out there watching the big screen out in Toshiba Plaza because the majority of those people are going to be Vegas Golden Knights fans and they might not feel comfortable out there. But um, there's definitely going to be some Montreal fans out there, but um, I, I, I just don't. And, and I'm not saying that they have no shot whatsoever. I'm saying there's a reason they're the biggest dog in the history of the NHL at this point. I think it would be absolutely shocking if Vegas did not win this series. No, they're going to be. Uh, they are a favorite, a substantial favorite. But let's remember, too, if this was any other team outside of the Vegas Golden Knights, it would not be they would not be that heavy a favorite because Colorado would be a big favorite against them. Either they, one of these teams but, was, good, but, was gonna be a big right, favorite. But not this kind of number because remember, who makes the numbers? Okay? The bookmakers oh, make yeah. it and they are trying to protect themselves against that future money. And there's a lot of future money on the Golden Knights that was laid a long time ago at the beginning of the season to win the Stanley Cup. So that's why you're seeing that because they're trying to hedge their bets off a little bit. So if it was Colorado, I can guarantee you this series price would be probably about minus 250 or 300. It would, I would think at least 300, yeah, yeah. but you know, you would but think, maybe okay. not 500. Yeah, yeah. But. It, you, yeah. It, there, there's no way. I mean, I'd say no way in the world you're even saying 
saying 400 if if it was anybody but the Golden Knights because, again, the bookmakers are trying to protect themselves. And then the other part is they know they're going to get individual game money on the Golden Knights. That's why it's 260. Anywhere else, it would not be 260. There's no way in the world. But people are going to bet with their hearts. Plain and simple. And as we know, anything can ha- happen in hockey. I'm really not, I'm not trying to make a case to bet the underdog here, but I'm saying if, if you like Montreal and you're thinking you could have a game one situation like you had in the last round with the Avalanche and coming in there and possibly stealing the game, there is tremendous value there because this team is well-rested. They've got a great goaltender, and uh, they're going to be ready to play. They're going to be focused, and th- they don't have many injuries. Well, I, I think they're definitely going to be focused. They do have a few injuries uh, for Vegas fans out here because Nick Suzuki, one of the most exciting young players they have, and, of course, uh, part of that original Vegas Golden Knights team, never played for the Golden Knights in an NHL game, but he went up to Montreal, of course, is part of the deal that brought Max Pacioretty down here. He's been outstanding for them this season, but Thomas Tatar is not playing for the Canadians right now. He's had some decent seasons up there. didn't work out here. And also John Merrill, the defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights, he has an undisclosed injury right now as well, so don't expect to see him playing. So although they're, they're, they're not banged up and they don't have a ton of injuries there, a couple faces that would be familiar to Golden Knights fans unfortunately won't be in the lineup for the Canadians. Yeah. And you go back to that trade that happened in September of 2018 where Max Pacioretty came here in, you know, for the guys that you talked about you know, with Tatar, and, uh, and, and Suzuki, Suzuki was the big right. piece. Right. Suzuki was the piece that they right. wanted. That was that was the future that they looked right. at. But you know, there's you know, just to recap that that move. I mean, you know, Pacioretty was the guy that was there for ten years. I mean, talk about face of the franchise. I mean, basically like a Mark Andre Fleury, you know, in Pittsburgh. A Mark Andre Fleury now here in Vegas. Pacioretty was that to the Canadians. I know that you've talked a lot about. Hey, what kind of reception is he going to get once the series moves back? You know, to Montreal. Well, we don't know how many fans. You know, is it going to be capped at 2,500? Is it going to be 5,000? But neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, they are going to, uh, you know, welcome him in, no doubt about it. But still, it's got to be a little bit different for him as well, too, because usually during the course of a regular season, a player gets to face his former team. And we haven't seen that. So that, that a lot of emotions will be going through Pacioretty's yeah. mind. And he as has well, faced him, just not in a playoff scenario right. type of place. So, right. Right. so he has been up there. This won't be his first time back uh, facing the Canadians in Montreal. Right. But, yeah, and even that. And, and remember when he first came here, the first thing Max Pacioretty said when he came to the Vegas Golden Knights was, I can take out my brain now and just play hockey again. I don't have to be the captain. Because he said he would go in grocery stores and people would be like, you're getting 35 goals and winning the cup this year, right? And the, the pressure up there is so high from the media, from the fan base, the expectations. They expect to win the cup every year. Kind of like UNLV basketball fans think that it's still the Tarkanian days. Those are long gone. The Montreal Canadiens haven't been that good in a while. They were the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. That was 1993. Exactly. It's been a while. But their fans still expect them to yeah. win all the time. And you could see Pacioretty was kind of like, as, as much as he loved it there and he revered and he was proud of being the captain of the Canadians, he was also kind of happy to get that away. When there was talk of who's going to be the first captain here in Vegas and Pacioretty's name was thro- thrown in there all the time, I know we talked about it and it was like, he doesn't want the job. Yeah, he'll put an A on. He'll be one of the assistants, and he's going to be one of your leaders. He did that in Montreal. The first thing he said was, basically, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. I can just play hockey. Wow. 
All right. Uh, looking forward to game number one tonight. You know, we talked a lot about uh, Alex Petrangelo and what a great series he had. Not really lighting up the lamp until that last game, but just, uh, you know, for, from a defensive standpoint and everything else. But who is going to be that guy for this series? Because we saw Marcia so the way he played and, you know, with all those goals that we saw, especially, you know, throughout the, the first, you know, four games. Who is going to be that guy for the Golden Knights? Because as Peter DeBoer said, you know, Petrangelo kind of an unsung guy. I mean, he was that guy that really was probably the MVP of the first round and the second round series. So it'll be interesting to see who is it going to be? Who, who's the person that is going to step up for the Golden Knights here in the semifinal round? For the Golden Knights? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they, they all step up. The, the second line has still been sensational. And I, I think they're going to continue. They have that golden misfit uh, mentality again. They don't have to face the top line of the other team, and they've really flourished in that role. Uh, Max Pacioretty, we mentioned, he didn't necessarily perform well for the Canadians in the playoffs when he was there, but he's performed excellently for Vegas. This year he's got three game-winning goals, for crying out loud. I think he's going to step up. I think the second line is going to be huge. But uh, and, and Petrangelo was good. I, I think everybody in their own way has to step up for Vegas. But I think the key, once again, is going to be Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah. If Marc-Andre Fleury plays like he's been playing and makes it difficult for Montreal to score goals and get that lead that they are so good at holding in games, it's going to be very difficult for him. And I don't see any reason why Marc-Andre Fleury is not going to play well. Like I said, Montreal's got some talent. But they're not as deep as the Vegas Golden Knights. They're not as talented as the Vegas Golden Knights. They're not as good as the Vegas no, Golden Knights. They, they don't have as much offensive firepower. I mean, if Montreal's going to win games going back, it's going to be a, a defensive battle. Yeah, they're looking and, for a two-to-one yeah. game. or, a, or a, and, They want it close to the vest. They don't want to get right, in a shootout. Right. So uh, contrasting styles here. Vegas is going to try to push the pace. They're going to try to definitely get up and down and, and, and do what they do. And But it would not surprise me if we have some low-scoring hockey games, especially maybe in Game 1 tonight. would not surprise me if we see a, a low-scoring game. So, uh, again, different, much different. The feel. It's a semifinal. It's, and you have the Montreal Canadiens that are coming here for Games 1 and 2 tonight and um, Wednesday night. Then the series will shift to Montreal for Games th- uh, for 3 and 4. So looking forward to this tonight, but it is going to be a little bit of a different feel. And for Montreal Canadiens, they have not played a game in the United States all year. Does that factor in? Everything that they, they've played has been in their own country without fans for the most part. Totally different. Totally different look for them. Totally different feel for them. Totally different feel for people that will be back in the Golden Knights of the Fortress tonight. Yeah, I don't know if it is, if it matters that it's in the United States. It's just outside of Canada, like you mentioned. I but think it's it ma- different. No, I mean, no, 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 no. Six uh, months, right? No, I mean, no, and, and yeah. that's what I was going to say. What I was going to say is what I think matters more is that it's in the Pacific time zone, in front of 18,000 rabid fans of the Vegas Golden Knights that they haven't seen for quite a while. They didn't see last year. They haven't seen this year. Uh, some of these younger players in that, because it's not the same team that even was here before. So there are definitely going to be differences there. And they're coming in as a huge underdog. Now, they were an underdog in their first two series as well. You know, maybe in the Winnipeg series, you got to re-question that since they swept it. But, I mean, no, I mean, I think the moment's going to be a little bit big for them. But I know you've also mentioned a couple of times how Montreal's rested. Vegas is also rested. Just because the way the NHL set it up after winning that last game, they got a three-day rest. They're not as rested as Montreal. Oh, yeah, Montreal's been but, off a week. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like we said, too, Vegas didn't have to travel. 
There's no way that what happened in game one against Colorado, there's no way that that should happen tonight to Vegas. And if it does, the reason isn't because they just came off a tough series. They came off a series where they won four games in a row. They outplayed them the last five games in a row. Vegas should come out on fire, ready to go tonight. It's not going to be fatigue or anything else. If they don't come out ready to play it's on them. It's not fatigue at all. all right. Expect a physical hockey series as well, too. Maybe a little bit like we saw with Minnesota in that opening round as well, too. So Montreal and the Golden Knights tonight at 6 o'clock. All right, uh, we've got some breaking news. And a uh, very familiar name. Golden Knights are very familiar with. In the news here today, Gerard Gallant now may named the head coach of the New York Rangers. We knew that Gallant would be a... He, he would surface at some point in time. And a lot of people thought he might be named the head coach of the expansion team, the Seattle Kraken. But uh, he is back, and the Rangers taking a shot on, on Turk. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a good hire for them. I think he's a player's coach. Uh, he's certainly got some talent there with Shesterkin, uh between the pipes, a good young talent in net. Uh, guys like Artemi Panarin and some of the other talent they have, uh, they were a team that were expected to be better this year, and I think that's one reason they made the change. Uh, a lot of people thought that he was just going to wait for the Canadian, for the uh, I'm sorry, the Detroit job to open up because that's where everybody figured he was eventually going to go. Well. Then Detroit basically says that it looks like they're going to give Blazel a chance and keep him as the coach for a while. So I guess Turk finally decided to make a move. Uh, this or Seattle, I think this is a very good situation for him. Yeah. They already have talent there. They have the chance to win immediately. Maybe Seattle does or doesn't. We have no idea what their team is going to look like. We'll know after the expansion draft. And there's a lot of talk that Brindamore from Carolina, who I don't know why Carolina hasn't already re-signed this guy during the regular season, that he's going to be going to Seattle. I don't know why Carolina would let that happen, but they've made some major screw-ups in the past over some decisions. So I'm happy for Turk. And when he was here, I thought he was the consummate professional, always had a smile on his face, had a good, you know, said more stuff that was kind of funny in that out of the yeah. press conferences and that when you got a chance to talk to him one-on-one. I think he's just a class act. He's an old-time hockey player type of coach or whatever. Uh, I really like the guy, and I always wish him all the best in the world. I, I'm not going to become a Ranger fan now, but when they win, I'll be happy for Turk. He gets back to the East Coast as well, too. Spent time with Washington. So, yeah, it's a good move. And I'm glad to see him back again because I think uh, a lot of us felt the same way. I mean, great guy, and you hate to see guys lose their jobs, uh, especially when you get a chance to know them a little bit. And uh, glad that he's back in the NHL after a couple seasons. All right, when we come back, we turn our attention to the NBA playoffs. Very controversial night last night in Denver between the Suns and the Nuggets. Elimination game there and ejection as well. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, has got plenty of thoughts on that. We'll touch base with him. Also, next hour, Sam Gordon will join us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal who covers the Las Vegas Aces. UNLV, both basketball and football, as well as boxing. So a lot of stuff to talk about with Sam. And Sam's a big NBA and college basketball guy, as we know as well. So a lot to hit on on the rest of the show here today. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you on this Manic Monday. Get wrecked with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Playoffs heating up, uh, not just heating up for interest with competitive games, but controversy as well, too. We saw this last night with the Phoenix-Denver game, and we talk about a team 
you know, responding. I mean, look what happened here in these the first round with the Phoenix Suns. They have a battle with the Lakers. They were an underdog, even though they were the higher seed. They're number two seed, beat the seventh seeded Lakers. Then they come and they play the Denver Nuggets, who had a seven game series against the Portland Trailblazers. They went, you know, back and forth with each other. And I think a lot of us thought, okay, this is going to be. Uh, at least a six-game series. A fun series. Probably a seven-game series, yeah. I mean, you know, these two teams are going to get up and down, good matchups, seem to match up very well with each other. We didn't see any of that. We just saw destruction by the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul and company, Jay Crowder. I mean, these guys were on fire. And we talked last week about the turnover-to-assist ratio. And heading into that game number four, they had a 50 Three to four assist to turnover ratio. Just amazing what the Phoenix Suns, led by Chris Paul as their point guard, and, uh, and good for him. But the Phoenix Suns, they eliminate uh, Denver last night. They sweep them. They get their seventh straight postseason win. Kind of a lot like the Montreal Canadiens like we're talking about. You go through that series with the Maple Leafs. You come and you sweep. You've won seven in a row. Phoenix Suns. Identical situation to that. And how much do you think beating the Lakers and LeBron, I don't care if AD was there or not, that that boosted their confidence in that and started really making them think, okay, we were the underdog, even though we're the two seed in that. Let's go out there and get it done. I think when you get big key victories like that, that, that that's a big part to you. Uh, and again, I know that we got Bill Cartwright standing by and we're going to be speaking with him. And, you know, when the Bulls beat Detroit that first time, and then it's like, okay, we got by them. Now we're starting to roll. And then, of course, they win six championships. But that was the team they had to beat. I just wonder if beating the Lakers made Phoenix go to that next level and really made that belief in themselves that much stronger. Because like you said, I don't remember anybody predicting a sweep going into that yeah. series. And here's the thing. Even though they were the two seed, the Lakers were the seven, it had the feeling that the roles were reversed. Exactly. That the Lakers were the top seed. Yeah. And so it goes back to, and I use this analogy a lot, if you're a lower seeded team, like say you're playing the, you know, the one versus eight, and you're that eight, or you say you're a seven in the two, and you knock off that top dog, you basically become the top seed. That's the way you feel because you got rid of them. And, hey, if we could beat these guys, then we can go ahead and, and beat anybody. I think that is what the Phoenix Suns are thinking about right now. Hey, we knocked off the Lakers, knocked off LeBron James, knocked off the defending champions. Yeah, anybody else you put in front of us, we're ready. And they're playing with that confidence right now. So here he is, the big seven-footer, the five-time NBA champ, big Bill Cartwright. And I know that this Phoenix Suns team, I don't want to say it's, Kind of close to your heart because you did spend some time there as an assistant coach uh, there in the Valley of the Sun. And I know you love the area. I know you love playing golf and eating there as well, too. Uh, How surprised are you that the Suns swept the Nuggets? Well, yeah. As a matter of fact, let's go back to that. I like eating anywhere. So it's just like you. So that that does well account. But, yeah, Phoenix is a great city, uh, great sports town. I enjoyed my four years there. And, you know, what's funny is that what we always talk about uh, is who – well, we talk about matchups, but we talk about the team who's playing the best basketball at the end of the year. And, you know, the Suns are one of those teams. that They're just – they're really hot right now. They're playing well. They're playing their style of basketball. They're moving the ball. They're making shots. They're not injured. So, in that case scenario – uh, they're they're playing as well as anybody. All right, so let's go back to last night's game. 
The Nuggets came in here trailing three love. You almost got the feeling that this team was was pretty much done when their head coach, Michael Malone, came in and said, hey, man, this, I think our guys have quit. That was sad. I mean, that was, that was, a, that was a sad statement. But So we go to this game last night. Phoenix jumped out to the lead. Uh, the writing was pretty much on the wall. And even though, you know, Suns fans, I'm sorry, the Nugget fans were hoping that this team would rally on their home floor, we just really didn't get that. And then we come to the situation where the MVP, Jokic, was just so distraught the way he was playing, the way the team was playing, that he decided, you know, he he, he wanted to try to stir things up a little bit. So uh, he gets called for this foul. Here's the audio. Here's how it took place in the second half of last night's Game 4. Denver just does not have the firepower. Jokic inside, off, rebound, collected by Bridges. Foul on Jokic, down goes Payne, and across the face, and here we go. Cameron Payne is still down. And you've got the two superstars going jaw-to-jaw here in Jokic and Devin Booker. All right, so we see uh, Jokic uh, being ejected. Um, at that point in time, they called it a flagrant two. They huddled up. The referees looked at it. When we look at this replay over and over again, uh, not sure exactly you know, what, to, what, what to make of this. The referees came back, and they ushered in their decision. After replay review. Booker there is and CB3, wind CB3, up, impact, and follow through. It is a flagrant penalty, two on Jokic. He's ejected from the game. All right, Jokic ejected at that point in time. It was it for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they were done. A sweep ensued by the Phoenix Suns. Bill, I know when you watched this last night, uh, give, give me your thoughts about particularly this foul. Well, you know I'm upset by that. And it's, look, you know, you've, you've watched sports your entire life. you watched uh, basketball, baseball, football, boxing, when, when, when there's an intent to hit somebody, to hit somebody, to harm them, it's 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 kind of obvious. You really you you, you don't have to say, "Hey, look, you know, I'm, I I kind of think I'm kind of suspicious." You know, you know, if somebody if somebody's taking a swing, lines up, hits somebody, uh, whether they get the head, back, whatever, they're hitting them. You got a whole body there. When you have to go to replay. And to be able to to look and see if somebody's going to get a hit, hits a hitting somebody, and then now, uh, you know, for what I saw, he hit the ball, which should be fine. It should be just a common foul. They eject this guy from the playoff game. Uh, this this is this has gone beyond to where the official really dictates the game because the game's over. It's the third quarter. Game's over. Get the best player in the league. Uh, done. Done. This game's over. So basically the referee decided the game. And it's been something that's been going on all year to where if, if there's a swipe, you swipe at the ball. You can swipe at the ball. You can swipe at somebody's leg. You can just swipe at them. You can be ejected. And it's it's just the damnedest thing I've ever seen. I, I I I really don't know what the point of this is. 
as that of uh, harm, intent. And, and this is my point, too. How many guys have been hit and, and then been out of the game this year? It, it's, it's, it's like guys are taking the bait. So guys now, when they, they get bumped, they go down. They stay down. It's, this, is, this is, you know, we're talking about floppy. This is ridiculous. This has got to change right now to where you, there, there must be a clear intent, at least an intent, of, of, of hitting somebody. And, and, and an intent, let's say, you know, it is, and it's funny, and, you know, you know that I always hate to compare, uh, you know, the old days where, you know, we used to be able to uh, have an altercation and then we'd go back and play. And that happened. Um, years ago, you used to be able to, guys would fight and then break it up and we'd play. Right, 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 right. No. But, but, I, but I'm just talking about now where the intent, intent, where you swing at the ball and you can be ejected from the game. It's preposterous. Okay, so that that was a ridiculous call. There's no question about it. But here's where I get well, upset yeah. about. It. I, I here's right. Yeah, it, it, they're, they're going to probably lose the game, lose the series anyway. I get that, but that's neither here nor there. You base everything on what actually happened, like you said. I mean, in like Michael Malone said later, he says, "Hey, he just you know he he wasn't going after the guy to to, to kill the guy to start a fight with the guy or anything. He was there was a frustration foul." Plain and simple. That's all it was. And we've seen him do it before. Again, in, in not, not ill will at all. But here's the problem that I have. There is so much inconsistency and there's so much subjectivity here. I mean, on, on what is a flagrant one? What's a flagrant two? What are we going to go to the monitor for? And that was no case in point for any of it. Like you said, we should compare it to back in the day or whatever when there would be fisticuffs and then you, you tee every guy up and then you continue to play. Or maybe, you know, you, if it was that flagrant, you know, prior to the quote-unquote flagrant fouls, and then the flagrant one, flagrant two, okay, you would have those ejections. But if there were ejections, as you know better than anybody, I mean, it was it was for legitimate fighting, and someone was really going to be hurt or someone to be in trouble. Later in that same game, we see a guy breaking away for a layup, and he gets bear-hugged. He gets grabbed from behind. There is no play on the ball. What's the intent there? The intent is I'm not going to let you score, and you could hurt a guy a heck of a lot more doing that than you could at slapping the ball. And that's what I don't get. No flagrant foul, just a common foul on that. The inconsistency is preposterous. These officials are preposterous. The, the game is becoming a joke, and then you add on the flopping on top of that, the embellishment that we see like you know, in soccer that we're used to. Yeah, the league is getting a bad rep, but there is just no consistency. I just don't like the idea of the officials dictating the game. Buying something that is, is not intentional. And look, it's, it's just what we talked about. You know clearly if somebody is going after somebody, if somebody is trying to injure somebody, I don't need a replay for that. It's right in front of me. So um, I, I, I just don't get the point because it's getting worse because guys are, are, are falling. Every single possession is 
and, and, and for anything, they're falling down, and clearly on the replay, uh, you know, nobody's even touching their head, but they're holding their head. They're 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 holding their eyes. They're holding their chin like they've been hit, like they've been shot. And it's and it's just this part of the game that you know the guys are thinking, hey, look, you know, why, you know, if we can get away with it, why not continue to do it? They'll they'll continue to do it. Get on the free throw line and get guys out of the game. And why not? It's just it's just something this league has got to clean up because it sets it just it's a bad precedent. That the officials are are dictating who's who's going to win this basketball game. A flagrant, a flagrant. Look, basketball. You've got to have a certain amount of contact on the floor. You know, if you've got a guy at you get a guy at twenty five feet, he is driving at the basket full speed. Somebody has got to greet them at the basket. There is going to be some contact that. The league has got to allow the players. It has to happen because these guys are too good. So they're going to have to change this rule. That there's going to have to be a certain amount of contact allowed on the on the court to where they can make a play on the ball. They can make a play to protect themselves. They're not going to get hurt and and just play basketball. That's how basketball is meant to be. This is not a, this is a contact sport. All right, so here so, is Michael Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, giving his thoughts about not only the call but the way this series ended. Uh, I don't know. I think it's something along the lines of wind up, malicious intent, some other mumbo jumbo. But obviously, uh, you know, you lose the MVP. Uh, it's going to make it even harder to try to stave off elimination. Um, the guys that were still in the game, the last three, the third, and the fourth quarter, tremendous effort, tremendous fight, uh, which was uh, great to see. And we hung around. You know, overall, very disappointing uh, to end the series, um, getting swept at home. Well, I still haven't processed it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, you know, game four, an elimination game at home. Um, before they had determined their, their decision on the flagrant two, I had watched a replay myself on one of the coaches' computers behind the bench, um, and, and I just assumed, and we all know you should never assume, uh, but I assumed it would be a, a flagrant one at the worst. Um, from my vantage point and watching the replay, I did not think uh, it was a non-basketball play with malicious intent. I think it was a frustration foul. I feel... Nicola probably felt the last couple of plays when he had the ball, he had not received a foul call. And, you know, he went over there to to take a foul, which he's done plenty of times before. A lot of players do that. And I just didn't feel like uh, it warranted a flagrant two ejection because he's making a play on the ball. There's marginal contact to Cameron Payne's nose, I believe. Uh, so I was shocked. I'm still a little bit shocked that they called a flagrant two and ejected the MVP on such a play. Um, I think Mike Singer said that they, a pool reporter may have asked one of the officials, so I'd love to hear what the reply was from those uh, from one of the referees because uh, I'm still trying to figure out uh, the reasoning behind the ejection. All right, Michael Malone, very distraught 
after the Nuggets get eliminated last night. Uh, Bill, when you hear Michael Malone's comments, your thoughts? Well, he's confused, like, like, just like all of us, to where this guy is not, there's no intent to injure this guy. The intent was just to hit, to hit the ball, which he did. And But look, this has been going on all year. And you've seen it. You've seen guys go down all year. Uh, they're 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 holding they're holding everything. They're holding their um, uh, head. They're they're holding their chest like they've been shot. And it's and it's just ridiculous that it's it's just going to continue if they cannot straighten this out. Because like I said, these guys, you you can't make a play at the rim if these guys are going to match. You might as well let them go. That's why there's so many layups going on where these guys are running in there full speed. And if any contact happens at all, if you fall at all during the course of the game, there is a great opportunity to get a flagrant foul. And that mindset just has to change to where to where it's, it's just a normal play, to where there's, uh, there's just physical basketball, and there's going to be points in time when, when, it, when it happens. Not, uh, um, you know, you, you, there's, there's just no intent to really to injure anybody. So I don't get it. Uh, nobody else gets it. Uh, this is something that's just, just going to have to change. You know, Bill, one thing that I found interesting when you talked about when they go to the replay and that, and I know that they look at the replay because they want to get the big picture and see how everything's done, but a lot of times replay, especially when you slow it down, it makes things look even worse than they really were. Look at a hit in football or a punch in a boxing match or a hit in hockey or something. The replay makes it look like it was assault with trying to kill somebody or something in slow motion in that, when in top speed you're seeing it's like, like you mentioned. You're just making a regular basketball play or something like that. Sometimes I think the replay makes it look worse than it was, and I think the officials see that and they go, oh, my God, what was this guy doing when it wasn't actually anywhere near that bad when you see it in real time? Well, let's, well, let's say that does happen. Let's say you accidentally, uh, you have your back turned to somebody and you accidentally turn and you hit somebody. That is not a flagrant, or at least not a flagrant, too, to get the guy out of the game because you could really belt somebody accidentally. It's got to be what is your intent? What was their intent in this play? Was their intent to injure somebody? Because, like I said, it's a physical game. There's going to be situations, and we, we saw it all year in college basketball, where guys accidentally got hit, and it's, it, all of a sudden it's, it's a flagrant. And guys go, oh, that could be a flagrant too. Well, it could be. But it, but the intent of it was no. They were they were not trying to hit anybody, but they did. Look, basketball is a physical game, or it can be at times. We don't want it to be. Nobody nobody's looking to injure somebody, but it's going to happen because for one thing, these guys are are great athletes, they're great players, are really hard to guard. There's going to be contact that happens, and what is the intent? of that contact is it to injure or is it to make a play on the ball so if it's a play on the ball it is what it is you just you play on it's a foul and move on from there clearly what happened yesterday could never happen again well, let me ask so you let me ask make you it up the ball really? it's out of the game so 
give me when you were playing on a, a really rough foul, what do you think is what were the percentages of in you know something that was really caused with intent versus just happened, you know, by accident because of physical nature of play? Give me a percentage. Well, it, it's really, the, the, the percentage of something happening had to be somebody hitting somebody in the head, and it, was, and it would probably be have to be with with a fist. So maybe a ten percent chance that you're going to be ejected from the game. Okay, but what about elbows flying? Okay, so I understand you're going for a rebound, you're t- tussling inside, and there's just going to be physical nature. But there are a lot of times when say. Say, let's take away a punch. Say it's not a punch, but there's something else where you're gonna you're gonna rib some guy in in, in the ribs, you know, with an elbow. I mean, your your intent is like, okay, this guy is, is pissed me off, you know, during the last couple trips down or whatever it is, you know. I'm just saying, fifty fifty. Just is it ten or twenty percent that that hey, I'm 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 gonna give this guy a, a legitimate jab here and hopefully I don't get caught. Well, look, guys, guys don't do that unless there's something malicious in there to where somebody intentionally elbows somebody. It would probably be more of a thing of that somebody got hit, you know, accidentally, and then somebody's trying to get something back. Now, that happens all the time. Right. That's happened before. But I'm, I'm just saying that um, if that happens and guys get, guy gets accidentally hit by an elbow, that could be a foul. That can't be a flagrant. There's no intent in there. Now, if there's an intentional guy's throwing an elbow intentionally, uh, you'll know it. It's not. It's not tricky. It's not a tricky sport. You know if something's going on. Everybody knows. Commentators know what's going on. The fans know what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. If there's been something going on and the guy gets elbowed, okay, now we got something. But clearly. Um, that's not going to happen. And look, most guys are not those kind of guys anyway. Most guys aren't guys that are going to going to go up and try to blow somebody up for no reason. So um, it's just it's just ridiculous. All right, man. Yeah, g- great great <laughs> thoughts. Great stuff. That's true. All right. Uh, all right, my man. Uh, appreciate the time, man. We'll get you back and uh, we'll start breaking down some of these other playoff series. But we know the Phoenix Suns, they're playing some very good basketball right now. And they're going to have to face the winner between Utah and the Clippers. Looking forward to that. And that series will continue tonight. All right, man. Go eat well. Uh, glad you're back here on the, the left coast uh, with us. Uh, you know, I know you had a great trip to Chicago, but uh, we'll talk with you very soon. All right, guys. Enjoy it. There it is. All right. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. And again, uh, just a, a crazy situation, and we seem to go through this type of stuff in the postseason all the time. What's a foul? What's not a foul? What's a flagrant? What's ejectable? What's not? And last night was definitely ridiculous. Well, let's be honest about it, too. When the face of your league in LeBron James is one of the worst offenders, Correct. that every time he even thinks that somebody came close to him, he's flopping around like somebody shot him from the stands or something, then other guys are going to do it as well. Yeah. All right, we come back. Sam Gordon is going to join us. Talk a little more NBA with him, Las Vegas Aces, and boxing. We were at the fights on Saturday night. Shakur Stevenson's dominating performance. We'll uh, touch on that as well, too. And get you ready for Golden Knights Canadians game number one Stanley Cup semifinals tonight at the Fortress. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you on this Monday. 
Let pass the block. Here come the Aces on the run. The Energizer. Look for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Off the glass and good. Good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance Martin. There were six seconds to go, and the Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three to give the Aces the lead. The doctor is now in. in, in, in. All right, Las Vegas Aces get another victory yesterday. Improved to four and one at home, eight and three overall. This team is playing some very good basketball. They had eight days off, had the East Coast swing. Little Motown Philly, except they didn't go there. You know where I'm going with that? Motown Philly, East Coast Wing. All right. Yes, so the Aces played yesterday at the house, Mandalay Bay, the Michelob Ultra Arena, got the victory. My man Sam Gordon was there. What's going on, my man? And not a whole lot, TC, one day at a time. One day at a time, enjoying, enjoying uh, <laughs> trying to enjoy the sweltering heat or the, the, the summer, the Vegas with the sweltering heat, but we're getting by. <laughs> All right, man. Before we uh, talk a little aces, let's talk a little NBA. So I know how much you love the, that as well, too. We were talking a little yeah. bit about Phoenix eliminating uh, Denver. The the sweep ensued there, but uh, the big conversation, of course, is Jokic in the flagrant foul, the ridiculous uh, flagrant two, getting ejected. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to to get that when you got home last night, Sam, or you watched the replays, but uh, give us some thought about the inconsistencies that we're seeing here with a lot of this play in the NBA, especially these calls. Yeah, well, I thought, I thought TC, I mean, you're talking about the, the MVP of the league here, and, and listen, it wasn't, it was clearly, it was a, a foul, there's no denying that, and clearly there was a wind-up and a follow-through, but I don't think that constitute, constituted uh, ejection, a flagrant to an ejection, in, in a in a elimination playoff game now, look, I, and that's not to say Denver was going to win whether he had played, but maybe they do. And, and the refs directly uh, intervened and booted him from the game. It was it was a hard foul. It was an unnecessary foul, but it was also a frustration foul. And he didn't decapitate Cameron Payne. It's not like he decapitated him. He did get him, but he got some ball. He was trying to make a play on the ball to a degree. Obviously, trying to follow him as well, and he admitted as much. Was just trying to spark his team, but. I think that's that's an interesting conversation that's happening right now about about officiating. And, and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported today that the league's competition committee met, uh, going over some some specific you know rule changes or foul calls because certain players tend to try and manipulate the officiating. And like you said, it's very very inconsistent. So I think it's good on the league that they're they're making they're they're starting to address this because uh, some of the foul calls and, and some of the no, the no calls, it, like you said, it's just so inconsistent. It's so ridiculous, and I think you know. I think there's you risk losing your audience or losing part of your audience unless they rectify this. So it feels to me like the league is is taking the necessary steps, according to Woj, and we'll see if they they indeed you know follow through and make good on that. But I I don't think definitely a flagrant one, and and but not not a flagrant two, and certainly not in that situation. You know, I think you know the the letter of the law is supposed to be pretty clear here, but for some reason there's so much subjectivity here. It's, if you're not making a play on the ball, and I know that we got you know factor, we just talked to Bill Cartwright, and he kept using the word intent, and I think that that is that is very big, 
That is very key. However, the NBA or any sports organization or any officials are afraid to use that word intent because they really can't get inside the player's head. But you have to use your best judgment. But what gets me is, is when we see these guys wrap up a player and give them a bear hug. I mean, you can really hurt someone, especially on a breakaway, and they're going up, and, and, and they're planting their foot, and then they're not allowed to go up, and they think, that oh, I, I, you know, I'm protecting them. We never see that wrap-up called as a flagrant foul. That is not a play on the ball. And, you know, what's the intent there? The intent is to make sure that this guy does not get his shot off, but there's a great chance for injury here. So I think any time that there is a chance for injury – Okay, that's where we should label flagrant twos, plain and simple. What we saw with Jokic yesterday in a slap of the ball, whether intentional or not, that does not constitute a flagrant foul, period, let alone a flagrant two. Those are my thoughts, Sam. Yeah. What do you think? I, I could not possibly agree more. And, and it just kind of, you know, the interpretation, it, just, it speaks to the subjectivity of a lot of this stuff, right? Like, like you know, like you said, TC. The letter of the law is flagrant constitute, you know, non-basketball player or really, really, really excessive contact. Well, the Jokic thing, again, it was excessive, but it wasn't really, really, really excessive. And, again, I think, yeah, he knew he was probably going to foul pain, but he did slap at the ball. Like, he did slap at the ball, and, and context, I think, matters here. And that's not to say, you know, make allowances for superstars all the time, even though we know they do. We, we know the officials do favor superstars, but... Nikola Jokic is the reigning MVP and did not get treated like a superstar at all. They booted him out of an elimination game like it was a Tuesday night in February, you know, a regular season game, like he had just picked up his second technical. I thought uh, I thought it was very unceremonious and, and unbecoming of the league, and uh, this, this stuff needs to get rectified. They need, there needs to be some kind of consistency established with how the game is officiated, and, and there, there's a, a, you know, you want some physicality in basketball. I don't think there's any denying that, but there's a fine line between what's being called and how it's being called and what's not being called. And, again, it's really, really, uh, really subjective. I think you look at another thing, TC, look at all the contact that's allowed for post players, right? You can maul them, you can body them up and bang on them and do whatever, you know, whatever you want to a post, but you can't, you can't do that to a perimeter player, right? Like, clearly the league is in the, – the way the game is officiated is to influence a certain style of play. And I'm not sure if that's what's best. And, you know, with, with the, the competition committee getting together today or talking about changes, I think that's a step in the right direction. And now it becomes executing this, establishing a standard, and then sticking to standards that improve the quality of play, that give players a certain level of freedom, but that also protects them uh, from, from real, true flagrant fouls when the time comes. Well, I think one of the problems with the NBA today is uh, you are asking the officials to do a lot of stuff. Uh, okay, he, you're trying to get intense, so now he's trying to get in the head and be a psychiatrist for the player on the court out there. TC, I know you mentioned when guys wrap people up all the time, and you think that should maybe be a flagrant too. Every time I see somebody do that, I'm thinking it's like, well, they figure they have to do that because if they follow him at any other point, even if they take two more steps in a dribble, they're going to give continuation and give the guy the three-point play. So you know, And you hear it when you're watching a college game all the time. Well, he didn't get that call here in college, but at the next level, he'll get that call of the continuation. I, I just think sometimes the game's a lot softer these days and that kind of stuff, but I think they bring it upon themselves a lot with asking the officials to get in the heads of players, but then also letting guys get continuation with extra steps and everything. I think there's a lot of things inconsistent, and the officials sometimes are kind of out there. It's like, I don't know what to call because... There is the superstar rules. There's everything. The only thing consistent in the officiating is the inconsistency. 
Yeah, and that's you know that's not the bag on like we we all we all have an understanding, and I think most basketball fans have an understanding. Like, look, nobody's saying officiating is easy. Like, it's not. You have ten of the world's greatest athletes on the floor at any given time, moving really really fast and jumping really high, and, and with the budget, there's a lot going on. Like, we we understand that, but uh, at sometimes I think you know the referees tend to involve themselves a little too much in things, and even going to the continuation thing, like. Some some continuations are allowed, but now they're starting to call random stuff that would be continuations before. Now that's on the floor. Like, you can't tell. It's just so sporadic, and I think that's what's really changed. The only thing that, like you said, feels consistent is the inconsistency and the ways that, you know, some of these perimeter-oriented superstars were able to manipulate calls. Like, you know, Luka Doncic comes to mind. James Harden is another one that comes to mind. Like, these guys are experts at playing playing the reps, and, and the reps go for it. And, and you want to talk about non-basketball stuff? Like there are a lot of there are a lot of non-basketball unnatural things that offensive players are doing as well, and they're getting rewarded with two free throws. So uh, it's it's something that definitely needs to be cleaned up. I think it's you know a long time coming. The last couple of years, I think also the reviews, like the frequency of the reviews, and that's something you know TC could talk about too. There was about a billion reviews at the Aces game yesterday, and it just slowed everything up. Like not everything has to be a two or three minute review, and. The end of these, a lot of these playoff games, if it's close, like you're getting five, six, seven reviews, and it takes 20 minutes to play 20 seconds sometimes. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but now there's a lot that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, I, I, I think again for you know the, the a lot of the the, the the kind of the diehard fans are still going to stick with the NBA. I know I certainly have, but you're losing you're losing some of the casuals, and you're losing some of the the people who are just now discovering basketball. With all the start-stop, all the inconsistent fouls, all the replays and things like that, you're not doing yourselves any favors. I, I, what you're supposed to do with the officiating is adapt to make the game better, to make it more watchable, to improve the quality of play. You, you see the NFL trying to do that uh, with some of their rules, and a lot of it's, of course, trial and error through there as well. But what, with all the rules in place, I don't think it's improved the quality of play. Uh, I think it's detracted from it at times. You know, not all the time, because you still have great, great playoff games and great, great high-level play. But it's something that the league definitely needs to figure out and address. And, uh, you know, you change the way the game's officiated a little bit, and I think it's going to make for a better, you know, better play all around on both sides of the floor. No doubt. Uh, Sam Gordon joins us, Las Vegas Review Journal, talking a little NBA playoffs right now. Sam, let's talk about Milwaukee and Brooklyn. This series, believe it or not, it had the makings of, of looking like this could go the way the Phoenix Suns were going to dispose of the Denver Nuggets, the way Brooklyn just dominated Milwaukee in those first two games. And then, you know, game number three was kind of an ugly game. And then here comes Milwaukee, and they erupt. And all of a sudden, this series is tied 2-2. And now you can even make the argument that Milwaukee has the advantage because you're already playing without James Harden. And now the Nets could be also now without Kyrie Irving, who got injured yesterday. And uh, early reports are this guy might be out for quite some time. Talk about a total change of vest, TC. Talk about a series flipping itself on his head. I mean, like you said, this was looking like, you know, a sweep or a gentleman's sweep. You know, credit to Milwaukee for winning that game three. But I, it looked to me, based on how Brooklyn came out firing yesterday, that it was going to be a five-game series, right? And then Milwaukee makes its push and starts knocking down some threes and, you know, puts together its best stretch of the series. And Kyrie Irving goes down. It's it's now it's time to see it. And listen, Kevin Durant's credentials are unquestioned. In my opinion, he's one of the ten greatest players to ever touch basketball. Uh, the, the best scorer I've ever seen uh, in my lifetime. I mean, a walking bucket and a tremendous defensive player. There's a two-time champion, two-time Finals MVP. There's nothing that he can't do. We we understand that. But this is going to be a different spot for him. I mean, he hasn't been in the spot for for all of his success and all of the deep playoff runs and the championships that he's won, 
he always had at least one other bona fide superstar in the lineup with him, whether it would be Russell Westbrook helping him get to that conference finals against the Warriors in 2016. Of course, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, uh, particularly Steph, but also Klay and Draymond, and, and we know how great those Warriors teams were. And then with James Harden or Kyrie Irving, like he's always had a big-time running mate, and he's going to be in a situation for the first time since 2013 when Russell Westbrook was injured in the first round where he's going to be out there by himself, right, where he's got quality role players, but he's going to be the only superstar and we're going to see what he does. And, and knowing how great this guy is and how great he's been throughout the course of his career, I think he's going to be ready for the challenge and put forth a big-time effort. What I don't know, however, is, is his individual play, is he going to be elevate? Is he going to be able to elevate his team in a way that can overcome these injuries against a, a really tough defensive team in Milwaukee, against his, probably his best individual defender in the league right now, and P.J. Tucker, who really made him work yesterday, and against a tremendous defensive team that's going to be able to zero in on him and lock in and force other guys to beat uh, beat them. So I think I think you're going to see vintage Kevin Durant tomorrow, but I don't know now if there's enough firepower. I think you look at Milwaukee, they really haven't even played all that well. You know, they, they, they're they still trying to figure some things out. Yes, they won yesterday pretty decisively, but I still think they have another year to go to. We haven't seen the best of, of Drew Holiday. We've had a couple good Middleton games, but not necessarily an A-plus game per se. And I think Giannis is still trying to figure out his way in a playoff series. You know, is there another level he can get to? Because we've seen how devastating he can be in transition and around the basket. And we've also seen him struggle when he's handling the ball away from the perimeter or on the perimeter and the defense has a chance to load up for him. So I think definitely the tide has turned to Milwaukee's favor and I expect them to win this series if if one of these two superstars can't return and play alongside Kevin Durant. But I think what this, what this sets up for KD is a chance to have a vintage performance and put a stamp on not only this series, but this season and really, really take his legacy to another level uh, as a, as a primetime player because we know he's been that, but this is a chance for him to really carry the team by himself and deal with some adversity. All right, we'll see what happens with the Bucks. And the Bucks have been pretty easy to figure out here. They just are living and dying by the three, and we know that usually doesn't bode well for teams in the end, Sam. And again, put up uh, they're putting up 40, 47 uh, threes a game, and if they're hitting the threes like they were yesterday, they're going to be okay. Even though they weren't hitting a really high percentage yesterday, they had enough to get the job done. But we've seen this team just go in these type of funks when they're you know not hitting the, these shots from the perimeter. So uh, I don't think this series is done. I know a lot of people are thinking, thinking, hey, Brooklyn was going to roll through this series, like you said. Now people have, have flipped the script, and they're saying, hey, this is Milwaukee series. Not so fast. You're right. KD is one of the greatest of all time, and he has an opportunity to prove himself now. We'll see what happens. And remember, the Nets still do have home court advantage, and the Bucks really haven't played that good on the road. So I still think the jury is out on this series. Let's talk about tonight's game. You have two of them. you got Philly and Atlanta in the East. Philly leads this series two games to one. They've won two in a row after Atlanta and Trey Young and company. Uh, they literally up in game number one, but not so much in games two and three. What do you expect to see in this game tonight and the rest of this series? Well, I think what I really noticed in game three was Philly figured it out from a physical standpoint, right? With Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, like Atlanta, those guys overpowered Atlanta in that game three, and Atlanta really doesn't have an answer for, for the size and the physicality that Philadelphia plays with. And if, if a lot as good as Atlanta's supporting cast has played for much of the playoffs, and you've got to give credit where credit is due. I still feel like a lot of Atlanta's success is Trey Young or Bust, and, and that they have another level to go to. That's fine, right? It's a young team for the most part. You're missing DeAndre Hunter, who was awesome this year in his second year. 
out of Virginia after winning a national championship in 2019. But uh, if, 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 it's, if Trey can't, you know, give you 35 and 15 the way he did in game one where he was able to kind of control the tempo and the flow when he was getting to his spots, uh, Atlanta tends to struggle. So I think Philly, Philly kind of figured that out, that, that Atlanta can't match up with them physically. And as long as Embiid, you know, we know he's dealing with some kind of knee injury, partially to whatever it is, a partially torn meniscus or MCL. You wouldn't know it by the way he's playing. And, and for all the flack and the grief Ben Simmons gets because he's not what maybe the public wanted him to be, like he is an awesome, awesome two-way player that makes things happen for guys on his team that can guard anybody on the floor. Like one of the few players in NBA history where you can really literally say, who can't he guard? He can guard Trey Young. He can guard bigs. He can guard wings. He can guard everybody. And with that supporting gas, with Tobias Harris and those guys playing well, um, I thought Atlanta had a chance given coming into the series when we didn't know how healthy Embiid was. But he, he looks pretty good, and as long as he's pretty good, I, I expect um, Philadelphia to make pretty quick hay of Atlanta and, and set up a, what's going to be an epic conference finals against either Victor or Milwaukee, whoever makes it out on the other side. The top seed in the West, Utah Jazz, uh, struggling a little bit now. They still lead the series against the Clips 2-1. What do you think happens here? Depends a lot on Donovan Mitchell's health. Uh, you know, he had that ankle injury towards the end of the season and then appeared to aggravate it a little bit uh, at the end of Game 3 or late in Game 3. If he's not healthy, uh, if he's not 100% healthy, I don't think I don't think Utah can beat the Clippers. Now, if he's 85 90% and it's playing well the way he did in the first two games where he was a mini Dwayne Wade flying all over the floor and doing everything on offense, hitting clutch baskets, setting up his teammates and being that emotional leader for that group, and then then I think Utah still has an advantage in this series. But I got to see that. I got to see how that first quarter looks like and what, what he looks like, DC, because if he's not 100% right or at least close to it, uh, I'm, I have a lot of questions about how Utah can score. I mean, a lot of it, they're not, I don't think they're, they're as dependent on Donovan Mitchell as Atlanta is on Trey Young, but clearly they're very dependent on him and his ability to create offense and get into the teeth of that defense, get to the paint uh, and, and get to the rim. Who else do you trust on that team offensively? Uh, do you trust Jordan Clarkson? Sixth man of the year, had a really, really good year, but do you want him initiating offense in a tight game late in the fourth quarter? Ask yourself that. Whereas with the Clippers, you have Kawhi Leonard, who you do trust in big moments. And as inconsistent as Paul George is, he played really, really well in game three. And if he can give you 85, 75, or 80% of that, then you know the Clippers offense is going to be pretty formidable. So I think until I, I have a better gauge of where Mitchell's ankle is at, uh, I, I'm going to reserve judgment on that one. But if it's not right, I, I think the Clippers get this thing done in six. And if it is right, I think Utah gets it done in six. So. We'll have to see, but that, that's a fascinating matchup. You know, two teams that both take a lot of threes and shoot the three exceptionally well. It's just a matter of how are you getting those threes, and, and Donovan Mitchell's dribble penetration and the threat of him getting in the basket is, is, is so crucial for that offense that if he's been limited in any way, they, they don't get the same kind of looks. There it is. Sam Gordon uh, joins us, Las Vegas Review Journal. Talk a little NBA playoffs. Sam also covers the Aces for the RJ as well. Sam, the Aces playing well. They're eight and three. They've won four out of five games at home. Uh, quick take on the Aces. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know you, Bill Lambeer still says it all the time, right? They're a, a, a work in progress, or uh, you know they're still they're still figuring things out. But and, and you can definitely see that at times. I think yesterday. Uh, in their victory over the wings. They were a little sloppy with the ball. We weren't always on the same page offensively, but we knew how talented this team was. And so far, they, they're playing like one of the best teams in the league. I mean, Asia Wilson is every bit as good as she was last year in her MVP season. Uh, Liz Cambage has been awesome on both ends. 
statistically, you might not see that, right? Because she has not necessarily as productive, but I think her role has changed a little bit. I mean, this is Angel Wilson's team, and I think Liz Cambage, to her credit for the most part this year, has totally bought in to anchoring that defense when she's out there. She's among the league leaders in, in block shots. And it's proven during a couple of games this year, you think back to that Connecticut game last year, that when they need to go to her and when they need her to dominate a game offensively, she still can. Um, Chelsea Gray didn't play her best game yesterday, but has been fantastic in making the whole thing go. And uh, they're still kind of working pieces in. I mean, Chelsea Plum has only played, you know, four or five games this year. With, with, with her being out with USA Basketball, she was awesome yesterday, uh, coming off the bench, scoring 13, defending at a high level, and, and playing with a lot of energy. And then I, ca- I can't tell you how impressed I've been with the defense of, of Raquana Williams, T.C. We know she's a prolific offensive player, has scored 50 in the WNBA, uh, big-time shot maker, and, and can score from anywhere on the floor and has no conscience when it comes to offense. But she's turned into the, the defensive sto- a defensive stopper on the perimeter, often tasked with guarding the opposing team's best perimeter player. And, and the same could be said for Jackie Young. She's made an unbelievable leap. Uh, it's looking like the number one overall pick she was in 2019 on both ends. Her, her mid-range game is pure. She's getting in the basket. She's drawing fouls. And she's tremendous defensively as well. So even without Angel McCautry, you look at the pieces, you look how they're starting to come together. They have scoring in the post. They have shot creation on the perimeter. They have a defensive anchor in Cambage and Wilson as well. They're deep. They have a, a strong bench that's going to, I think, continue to improve as Chelsea Plum continues to work her way in the lineup. And they're experienced now. So uh, they're 8-3. They're in the top three in offensive and defensive rating. They have the best net rating in the league, and you still feel like they have another gear or two that they can get through. So super impressed with how they've played so far and um, and expect them to only continue to get better as they get more experience and time playing together. Yep, could be a very, very special season like we were hoping for, and we're, we're getting that out of the aces. All right, we've got some breaking news here today, Sam, as well, too. Uh, this is great, this is exciting, and this is something that we – we feel that uh, is probably going to be a regular occurrence. The WNBA All-Star Game returns to Las Vegas July the 14th. It is official back at uh, the house at the Michelob Ultra Arena July the 14th. Yeah, uh, not again, like you said, DC, I mean, I, you imagine, I think there was talk in 2019, and you were there for that game, the 2019 All-Star Game, that Vegas might be a go-to destination for this game. And, you know, interesting timing with it being with it coinciding with the Olympic break, but cool thing that the league and USA Basketball are doing where it's going to be WNBA All-Stars that aren't with the American Olympic team, excuse me, and, and then, you know, playing against a team full of Olympians. And so you're really going to get – a lot of the best players in the world, and it, it makes sense from a planning standpoint that it's here because uh, Michelob Ultra Arena is already going to be hosting USA basketball scrimmages and, and, and exhibition games on both the men's and women's side. Both programs are going to be training out here in preparation for Tokyo. So it's a great event. And once again, you know, Las Vegas is a basketball town and uh, certainly a WNBA town, and this is an affirmation of that with the, the game coming here for the second time in, in three years. All right, uh, fan voting actually begins tomorrow. So go to WNBA.com. So vote for your aces. Vote for your favorite WNBA players. But uh, great news that the WNBA All-Star Game will be here on July the 14th. So a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Sam, it was great seeing you at the fights the other night, too, uh, over at the Virgin. Uh, Shakur Stevenson, it was a, a demolition uh, by him, one of the greatest defensive fighters that, that fans will probably ever seen. Not a lot of action for a lot of fight fans, but I mean, 
me, if you're a boxing purist, you're going to say, wow, you know, what this guy is doing is phenomenal. But as we know, you know, people like to see rock em, sock em. They like to see knockouts. They like to see knockdowns. And Shakur is not going to deliver that. And he definitely didn't deliver that on Saturday night. But uh, give me your take from the 120-107 on all three judges' scorecards, uh, Demolition. I mean, it was a boxing clinic, you see, by, by Shakur Stevenson, and, and that's who he is. He's a pure boxer. Like you said, he's a defensive genius uh, akin to the great Floyd Mayweather. Nobody's saying he's Floyd. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's going to be Floyd. But we haven't seen this kind of defensive prowess from anybody since Floyd. And, and you look at his opponent on Saturday night, over the course of a 12-round fight, he landed 28 total punches. That's less than three around. Like, that is astonishing. Two and you know, two and a third punches around, and, and that's what it looked like. It looked like, to me, PC, I felt like Shakur Stevenson could hit Jeremiah Nakatila whenever he wanted and, and that he couldn't hit Shakur, period. I mean, that's what it looked like. Now, the, the next step for Shakur is going to be understanding, okay, and that's not who he is as a fighter yet, but he's also only 23. Like, he's still in the infancy of, infancy of his development. He's five or six years away from his prime, and my personal opinion, and I asked Shakur about this after the fight, I asked him, you know, do you feel like you need a, a, a better opponent to bring out the best in you? Because I certainly feel that way. If he's in there with a Jamel Herring or an Oscar Valdez, you're going to really see his offense on display because he's going to be in there with a, another pressure fighter that's going to put, you know, that's going to allow him to showcase his, his counterpunching brilliance uh, even more so than he was able to on Saturday. And he said, yeah, you know, give me in there with a heavy hitter. I feel like I'll be able to eat more and do more damage. So, it's, it's time, right? It's, it's time. We've, we've known about Shakur Stevenson since he won the silver medal in 2016 with, with Team USA at the Rio de Janeiro Olympics. We know about the talent. We've seen it now multiple times against, you know, mostly B-level competition. Like, time to put him in there. Time to see what he can do against the champion at 130. He's, he's wanted that, all that smoke for a long, long time. He knows he's ready to go. And I think boxing and, and top rank know he's ready to go, too. We expect some kind of title fight for him later this year. And then that could probably against Jamal Herring for the WBO title. And then that would set up a pretty tasty unification PC with Oscar Valdez, who had the upset victory over Miguel Burchell in an excellent fight in February. So I think the sky's the limit for Shakur Stevenson. Again, clinical, surgical performance, especially if you're a boxing purist. And, you know, let him, let him take his time developing. I think the power, you know, he's not ever going to be a power puncher, but I think he has more power than he showcased on Saturday. And it's all about finding the right time and situation. I know the Raiders are here now, and it's all about just win, baby, and all that. But and I don't need rock'em sock'em robots. But come on, N- N- Nakatila was fu- he fell down four times. One of them was counted as a knockdown. There, he was completely frustrated. Step, kept on stepping on Shakur's foot. Sh- Shakur could have done something. Yeah, he won the fight. But if he wants to win the fans and get people to tune into his fights and get the big money in that, he's got to take a little bit more chances and go after somebody. There is no reason why he shouldn't have gone for a knockout or something. I understand it's all about the win. But if you want to be popular and win the fan base, he's got to be more aggressive than that. I mean, that fight was a snooze fest. And think about it, that's not who he is. I mean, that that's the thing. And certain boxers are that way. And we saw that with Floyd Mayweather over time towards the end of his career. And unfortunately, I mean, that's why, and we talked about it last week. I mean, he was 15-0 coming to his fight with only eight knockouts. And as you know, when you're building up your your resume and you take the first 15, 20 fights, most of these fighters have a knockout rate of around 70 or 80%. So most of these fighters with 15 knockouts, or rather 15 and 0, they have about 12 or 13 or 14 knockouts, and he doesn't. And I think that bodes 
to tell you a lot about Shakur Stevenson. And I don't know if you get him in there against an Oscar Valdez or whatever, does that mean all of a sudden he's going to step up his game? I think what we see with Shakur Stevenson is, is, is what you get. And you're right, Frank. A lot of fans don't like that, uh, you know, but it's just, it's just one of those things. That's who we're dealing with with this guy. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, 100% PC. I don't think he's ever going to be. He's never going to be a guy that, that is, a, is a knockout king or a knockout specialist. And I hear what Frank's saying, right? Like the fans are calling on, on him to close the show. And there were opportunities for him to close the show. But, that, again, that's just not who he is right now. And, and I think in a, a bigger fight against a better opponent, like he's gonna, he, he understands that he's going to have to be a little bit more offensive. And, you know, he talked about that after the fight. He didn't feel like it was his best performance. He was almost disappointed with the performance. And we're talking about a unanimous, dominant 120 to 107 uh, decision. And he understands that there are levels to go in his development, and he knows he, he's not in his prime yet. But uh, in terms of the, the, the polish, the skill, the footwork, the wingsmanship, uh, being able to slip punches and throw counters, uh, he's, he's as brilliant as they come in, in those areas. I mean, he's so, so, so sophisticated. He looks like he's been a 12-year pro, and he's only been pro for you know a pro for five years. So um, there, there's room to grow, and that's the scary thing. Is he's already this good right now, this polished, and you get him in there with the right opponent. No, I don't think his approach necessarily changes. But I think there's going to be more of a sense of urgency to, to, to put forth a little bit of offense. I mean, like, like you said, it, it, it was very, very repetitive in the way he was outboxing uh, about boxing his opponent on Saturday, and I don't think that'll be the case against a superior opponent with, with a title, with a legitimate title on the line. All right, my man, we appreciate uh, the time. As always, Sam, look for Sam in the Las Vegas Review-Journal. If it's not uh, covering the Aces, it's covering boxing. It's UNLV football and basketball as well, too. All right, brother, be good. We'll talk to you soon. I appreciate it, PC. Thanks, fellas. There you go. There he is. All right. Uh, Virgin Hotels, Las Vegas, in the midst of those four fight cards. The uh, third fight card uh, coming up will be this weekend and uh, a little bit different in the main event. You got uh, a big name like Shakur Stevenson, who was undefeated. Well, this week, you, you've got a guy in Inoue who is coming out of here with a 20-0 and record, 17 knockouts. He's known as the Monster. He's from Japan. He came out uh, of a fight against Nino Donaire about a year and a half ago. Phenomenal. Top-ranked signed him at that point in time. So uh, he is the Bantamweight champ. So we're going to see a lot more action, I can guarantee it, not only this Saturday night, but then the following Saturday night with Lomachenko as well, too. So, But it was, it was good to be out, uh, again, with live boxing, with fans out there and everything. We had a very good crowd, and uh, it, it was great to see everybody uh, once again on Saturday night. Even no, though, like you said, the main event was lackluster. Yeah, and, and I'm looking forward to the fights coming up here with some guys that want to put the opponent to sleep mm. instead of putting the fans to sleep. <laughs> Fury Wilder, that uh, you know, we talked last week with Bob Arum about that. That will be coming up, a uh, big press conference in L.A. tomorrow to make the official announcement. That will be on July the 24th at T-Mobile Arena. So a, a lot of good boxing coming your way. And we will have tickets to give away this week as well, too, for tonight, uh, rather this Saturday's fight and the following Saturday as well. Top-ranked boxing live on ESPN. And, uh, and, and we can officially announce, too, because we saw it ourselves after the fights. There's nobody more popular leaving an arena than, St- than Jacob Stitch Duran. <laughs> no doubt. That guy is like a living legend walking out of there. He can't go two steps without somebody wanting a selfie with him. This is true. This is true. And the way Stitch is, too, he's that guy in the public. He doesn't you know, mind going out the main entrances and that sort of thing. And, again, a lot of that 
has to do with him in the Hollywood movies as well, too. And oh, like absolutely. He, and like he said on the show on Friday, when we had him on Friday, he's just like, hey, he goes, there are these guys that didn't even know that I'm a, a boxing cut man. But they go, hey, you know, weren't you in uh, you know, Rocky Balboa? Weren't you in Creed? You're in Creed, dude? Yeah, oh, that's me. And it's funny when he tells the stories about these NBA guys or these uh, R&B artists or these rappers. Well, how about when Snoop Dogg came yeah. up to him like, hey, there you're you the legend, man. I need a picture with you. And he's like, right. Snoop Dogg is calling me the legend. And then he goes, and that, that guy from Saturday Night Live. He's talking about Pete Davidson. Right. Had no idea who even who the hell he even was or whatever. But right. again, he is recognizable, and the yeah. movies certainly have a huge part yeah. to do with that. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, but it, it's really just nice to see Stitch getting all the props and that that yeah. he so richly deserves. Yeah. No doubt, no doubt about it. And again, uh, Stitch is in the corners of all of these fights. Again, a Las Vegas. Love having him on the show, and like you said, just one of the most personable guys as well. So. Good for Jacob Stitch Duran. All right, we come back. B Sal, he's getting ready to get head on out to the fortress. Be live on Channel Three. He's going to join us. He's going to be sweating outside. Yeah, he is. Well, always wearing some kind of suit. That's why we got to give him a bad time about this. We're going to have to, you know, tell him his wardrobe options tonight. He can't be, you know, you know, going with that those heavy suits tonight. Will they have the flower in the lapel again? Yeah, That's the big question. We need to have a talk with him about that. <laughs> we'll do that next. Right here, T.C. Barton Show on a Monday. Hey, everyone. This is Carnell, a.k.a. Golden Pipes, and I want to welcome you back to the T.C. Martin Show. The request line may I help you. Yes, Brian Salmon joins us. Our guy over at News 3, the sports director, let's see, he's probably in his office right now. He's got the ironing board ready. He's ready to go. B-Cell, <laughs> B-Cell, it's a, what's it, 110 today or whatever? 111. 111. B-Cell, I think you got to go with the wife beater or something. You got to go show the guns. You got you to gotta come up with a tank top. There is no call for a suit tonight in the heat at T-Mobile. No, no. First of all, I love the fact that I have my own intro music. The request line when you bring me on, I love it. I love it. That's um, how we do it, hey, man. man. That's how you do it? I like it. I like it. So how about this? You're right. It, it's hot. It's hot to death outside. However, um, we do have to go inside after. So if I put on a white beater and I'm outside in a tank top showing off the guns, when I get inside, I'm going to freeze my gun's off. It's going to be cold in there. So you can put the suit coat on once you get inside. <laughs> oh, okay. So the suit coat over the wife beater. Yeah, there you go. Now, I, I don't know how comfortable I am saying the wife beater. I never understood that. Why do they call those little white little tank tops? Why do they call them wife beaters? I don't know. That's, that's not even right. I think it's because every time you see a chase on cops, that's what the people are wearing. Is that the deal, Leo? <laughs> uh, let's... That's exactly why they started calling them that. That's exactly why they started calling every them that. Every time there's a, 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 a call. Yeah, every time you hear a call for domestic violence or something like that, that's what they're wearing. And they always come out and they're in handcuffs and usually barefoot and watch your head when they put you in the back of the car. Now, there's no. Yeah, they get a stain on the front of the shirt. There yeah. is no one better to to give us this update. Than Brian Salmon because he is the king of the fashion police. <laughs> the, the king of the fashion police. That's you. you know what? I'll, I'll take that. I'm not. I'm not mad at that. I'll, I'll, right. I'll, I'll carry that. All right. So here's what most people don't know. Okay, when we saw you at game number six, 
the we, elimination game. The elimination game last Thursday night. We were hanging out. We saw you. But as Frank pointed out, you were wearing your beautiful dapper suit. I believe it was purple, but you had a flower. You were wearing a flower. <laughs> it was that. And Frank thought it was in tribute to Mark Andre Fleury. But I guess that wasn't the case, so explain the flower. I still think it was sublim- subliminally towards Marc-Andre Fleury. You think so? Okay. I, 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 thought he was going, I, I, I thought he was going to a <laughs> wedding, or he just came back from a wedding or something. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I heard that, um, you know, I never really got a chance to go to my high school prom and, and get as fly as I wanted to be. It wasn't <laughs> the way it should be. So I figured I need to go ahead and rock the flower now. You know, the, what are they, croissant? No, the croissant is for the woman, I think. No. Yeah, I don't know what they call it for the guy anymore. But, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Guys and girls can wear corsages. Yeah, that's that's right. Guys wear corsages? Yeah. 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 I thought they called them something else, but, uh, nah, man, I just started rocking them. I was like, you know what? Why the heck not rocking? (laughs) (laughs) You going to Love Shack on me now? (laughs) Love Shack. I I think we like the request line a little bit better. Yeah, I know where you're going. Damn. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Uh, Love Shack's not a bad song, but I don't know if it, if it necessarily fits uh, my pers- personality. Now, wait, does Brian, are, are you DJing tomorrow? Aren't you doing a show tomorrow? Who, me? Which yeah. show would I be doing? No, TC, I think, is actually uh, doing a well, I, I was at, request I, I, line. I, I, actually, I actually had to, uh, uh, to fold the tent on this one. Ah. I, I, I'm I'm so busy that uh, you've been I was, talking about it for like a month. I know, I know. I feel bad. So I was going to do a fill in for Dougie Doop. I was going to do the Dougie Doop show tomorrow, but uh, luckily enough, I I think that that part of it actually came from Dougie. I think he has been hearing the show and how I said I was going to take over. So Dougie Doop does his Doop show, uh, B Sal, and I said I'm taking over. And it's going to be TC and the Soul Patrol's fabulous funk show. So I said we're going 70s, we're going 80s, and I think. You know, once he heard that, he probably said, "You know, uh, you got fired." Yeah, I, I, he, maybe, maybe I got fired. <laughs> Even though I, I still could come in and do the show tomorrow, but I, I told Numchuck, I said, "Tell Dougie, I'm probably gonna have to bail out because of all." You know, listen. I mean, look at the schedule we've been talking about here. I mean, we've got hockey, we've got aces, we got hockey, we got aces, we got hockey, we got aces, we got boxing. I mean, don't have. A, there's uh-huh. no time to breathe here. Is there, is there another fight this coming weekend? Yes, there is. Yeah, and we're Who's just fighting this weekend. This fight, man. Oh my God! We, we, are you kidding? The monster is here. In a way. Oh, no, Tiafimo. In a way. No, 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 not Lopez. In a way. In a way. Yeah, you don't know. In a way. He's twenty and 0, 17 knockouts. He's known as the monster. Isn't Tiafimo Lopez is fighting this weekend too though? But not here. He's, he's in Miami, here. right? He's not here. Yeah, he's going. He's going That's down to Miami. The Triller card. Yeah, he, he would Trilla. Yeah, exactly. But good news <laughs> that Lopez and and Bob Arum and Top Rank uh, they had their meeting on on Friday and uh, they have come to an agreement. So that's it. So Terrence Bud Crawford uh, sounds like he's going to still stay under the Top Rank umbrella as is uh, Lopez as well too. So there you go, B Sal. There's your breaking news. Oh, that's that's actually some that's actually breaking news to uh, to to know about, man. Yeah. I mean, wow. Hey, how about the breaking wow. news? Also, I hope that you're you're uh, talking about this tonight. As you know, you and I were taking some pictures together there two years ago at the Mandalay huh? Bay. The WNBA All Star Game returns. Yes, yes, yes. How cool is that? Yes, you gotta love that. You know what though. I already, I knew, I think I announced two years ago that the WNBA, you can go back in the archives, I said on the air, the WNBA 
said that they were going to have the All-Star game here almost like an annual thing. Yes, I, I know. I, I was on with you at that time. You were on with me at that time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I, I knew that it was coming back, but, uh, yeah, no, I did see today that they announced officially that uh, cool news, I think man. starts on the 15th. Very, yeah, that's sweet, man. Very cool. All right, so let's talk a little VGK here, my man. So you're getting ready tonight. Uh, doing live shots. Is it going to be you? Is it Jesse? What's the deal the other night? Oh, no, man. Uh, yeah, it'll be me, man. I'll be out there. Usually it's, it's me live out in front of the uh, T-Mobile Arena before the game. I'll be out there at 5 o'clock. So, I mean, I'm, I'm editing and writing stuff so I can get the heck out of the station now. Um, so I'll do that at 5 o'clock, and then I'll head inside and, uh, and, and, and cool off <laughs> a little bit. But, uh, yeah, no, nah, I mean, I'll, I'll be out there. And then I'll be live from T-Mobile Arena at 10 and 11 o'clock tonight, and Jesse will be back here at the studio. All right. so, you're gonna be you're gonna be sweating yeah. out there. Be sweating. Out. Find some shade out there, man. Man, you know what? I have a nice little spot, man. Like I, I literally found a nice little spot. It's a walkway between T-Mobile Arena to Shiba Plaza. And if you're going to the Park MGM, there's an area over there that's got a tree, and I usually set up right <laughs> underneath the tree, so it's, it's it's in the shade. So like I I wear like the I got my shoe on, and you get a nice little breeze, and it's not very hot. Like honestly, it isn't that hot? It, so- it's yeah, I love it. So there, there's your warning, uh, fans. There you go. You're, you're out there listening. You know where B Sal is going to be. So if you want to sneak in the shot and see your fa- see your face, you know, in his oh, shot, wow. that's where you go. Thank, thank, you, you've just told the everybody. Line, there it is. There it is. Maybe yeah. you get maybe you get some B Sal chants going as well too. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a negative. That is a negative. Hey, come on. You're, you're a man of the people, man. You're a man of the public. You're out and about, man. People recognize you, okay? And now they're going to come up and ask you, hey, man, where's your flower tonight? Where's my flower? I, I got the flower. I got, a, I got the blue flower on tonight. All right. All right. Yeah. I the flowers, man. You know what? Um, uh, Don. Don from, uh, from the Aviators. He does the – Don uh, Logan. The, um, the, no, not Don Logan. The, um, the PA announcer. He also does UNLV uh, basketball. Um. Oh my gosh! His name's not Don. That's not Don. So, 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 so what color uh, suit does the blue flower go with? It's a um, it's a burgundy suit, but it's got it's got like some blue, uh, blue window pane. I guess you could say. And, and do you still have the crazy socks like the yellow ones you had on last night that go underneath it, or? Uh. No, 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 I've got some. Uh, I mean, I got the dope socks. Like, these socks I'm wearing tonight are some of my favorites. The Super Mario Brothers socks. But Dick Calvert is who I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm yeah, not okay. Dick Calvert, yeah, the legend. Dick, Dick Calvert. Calvert, yeah. Man, yeah. I, I love Dick Calvert, man. He's like one of my favorite guys. One of my favorite guys ever. But he, he loves the flowers. Every time I see him, he talks about uh, the boutonniere. That's what he calls it, the boutonniere. Boutonniere. There you go. Corsages, boutonnieres. Look at this education. Yes. yes this is a, welcome to the T.C. Martin Wedding Show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. The wedding uh, homecoming prom show. <laughs> All right. So, uh, B-Sal, we were talking earlier. Give me uh, your, your quick thoughts on the Golden Knights against the Montreal Canadiens tonight. Uh, semifinal. Feels strange. Feels weird. But uh, the Knights, a huge favorite here. But how about this? I think that the Knights have to guard against, and the fans guard against the fact that they're going into this series as huge favorites, man. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're really big favorites. Everyone thinks they're going to win this series. So, you know, how are they going to play with the weight of, with the weight of everyone on their backs, in a sense? You know what I mean? Because 
against Minnesota, a lot of people doubted them, thinking, oh, man, Minnesota has their number. It's going to be a tough series. The Knights were probably inside their own heads. And, you know, that was a tough series going to Colorado. You know, everyone thought they were going to lose. So they had the, the us-against-the-world kind of card. But now, man, I, it, I think it's, it's more difficult to play with the expectations of yourself and everyone on your back than it is playing the underdog role. And you know that, man. It's like that in most sports. So um, I think it's going to be tough. Really quickly, though, I talked with Eddie Olchek. Eddie Olchek, who does the color analyst work for NBC Sports, um, he, he was gracious enough to give me his time. I called him. He was, uh, he's in New York doing the, or Tampa Bay, excuse me, doing the, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Islanders series. And he told me that, he said, you know what, it would be a huge upset if Montreal would beat the Golden Knights. So, I mean, he thinks they're going to win. He didn't think they were going to beat Colorado. Still kind of surprised in the fact they beat them four straight games. So I guess we'll see what happens, man. I mean, they should win this series. If they don't, then I mean, nothing needs to happen in particular, but it'd be a huge, huge disappointment if they didn't. Yeah, I mean, they should definitely beat them. And the one thing that is interesting this year, now we're at the point of the season where nobody has faced the other team that they're playing, the Islanders and Tampa Bay, and like you mentioned, Montreal and Vegas. So although Vegas is a big favorite, who knows how they're going to play against a team that they haven't faced this year. I imagine in some ways that's going to be nice and going to be interesting for the first time at the Fortress in, like, what, almost two years now, we're going to hear O Canada tonight. That's true. There you go. Be oh, sound. Get, get, right. get your pipes that's ready. Right. Yeah, golden pipes. Uh, he won't be singing uh, that, uh, but uh, I'd like to hear B. Sal, you know, try to sing the Canadian national anthem. <laughs> oh, can't. You know what, though? How about this? Another uh, little shameless plug. I did a story on golden pipes and uh, Lene. Lene is the name of the woman who sings right. the Canadian national anthem. Yep. So it'll be both Lene and golden pipes tonight. They're best friends, and they'll sing together, man. So. I'm looking forward to that. She has a beautiful voice, man. She does the uh, the Super Night National Anthem. So, there you have, thanks for the reminder. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yes. There you go. All right. Good stuff, right. man. Good stuff. All right, man. We'll let you uh, get back to work here. Uh, we've got to keep an eye on some NBA tonight. Uh, you got a winner for us out there tonight. We've got the two wow. series. We've got Atlanta and Philly. And then, of course, Utah and the Clips. It looks like that is the most entertaining series right now. Yeah, I mean, how how about though the um the Nets, man? Like the Nets look like the the Golden State Warriors of a few years ago, man. Just everybody dropping like flies, man. Like that's that's sad, isn't it? You know, I mean, their whole team seems like they're injured. But uh, that Clippers series, that is a great series. I'd like to see the Clippers go ahead and advance, man. Like I I want to hate them, but I. I I can only dislike one team from LA, and that would be the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. I'm going to say this though: you're going back uh, comparing the Nets uh, to the Warriors here. I don't think the the public has that same sentiment. I think the 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 public really felt bad when Clay Thompson got hurt and Kevin Durant got hurt, and then you know, even Steph Curry. When those guys I'd agree, yeah. I mean, right now, I, people don't like James Harden. Let's be honest. People don't like Kyrie Irving, okay? They, don't, I, they didn't even like him in Uncle Drew. He tried to win fans over by going Hollywood. Oh. And you know what I'm saying? Even though he was pretty good oh. in the movie. But the bottom line, you don't have likable characters. And Kevin Durant is probably not as liked you know, anymore. I think, you know, before when he was with OKC was, went to, to Golden State, people kind of, they bought into that with, you know, the good guys. Because let's face it, the Warriors were the good guys. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and now he kind of joins the dark side. So I just don't don't feel this has the same type of, uh, you know, 
atmosphere, that t- same type of meaning. And I think people are... I, they, I would be fine, personally, to see the Nets go bye-bye. I don't need to see James Harden anymore. I don't need to see Kyrie Irving. Those guys are problems. <laughs> Those guys are problems, especially when Kyrie Irving did, you know, stepping on Lucky at the Boston Garden, like he's got, you know, bad, uh, you know, bad juju there, you know, for, for Boston. I mean, come on, man. It's just low class. But, but even with Kevin Durant, don't you think that some of the casual <laughs> fans think, okay, yeah, he went and he joined. Yes, But he's do. not really part of the Warriors because he won a couple titles sure. with him and then went on his own again. So. Yeah. He went to get what he wanted, but he's not really part of the hardcore warrior base. No, he's not part of the hardcore, but the, the point of, of the matter is that if you compare that, the net situation to the warrior situation, I, I don't think it's the same. You know, I think well, there's, I there, mean, there was a different love. No, no, I, I, I'm agreeing I agree. with you. I agree. Yeah, in that regard, I agree. But I'm just talking about the fact that they're a huge favorite and their team, like their, their star players are being injured, not the sentiment of the fans and whatnot. Just the fact that, like, their star players are going down, and now a team that you can almost pencil in for the finals and maybe even a title, you're like, man, they might not even make it out of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, interesting to see. So, all right, man, we'll let you get back to it. Uh, Get that flower ready, man. Get that suit pressed. And even though it's hot, he's got it made in the shade for that uh, pregame stuff outside. Oh, wow. This, you can always think of Frank man, with a little, little, little ding. That's it. <laughs> he is, man. He's our human sound effect. There's no doubt. All right, brother. Be good. We'll look forward to seeing you tonight, man. All right? Let's go eat. My guys. All right. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. I'll see you tonight, fellas. There you go. Brian Salmon, right. News 3. You can catch him out there. 5, 6, and then the, the wrap-up afterwards tonight at 11. News 3, our sports director over there. Yeah, he said 10 and 11 tonight. So right. He, right. Uh, probably doing something on the CW and an entry at 3. Right. So it's all over the place. want to thank Bill Cartwright for joining us. Sam Gordon, Brian Salmon, appreciate it. And then tomorrow we uh, get ready for a terrible Tuesday, and then we'll recap what takes place tonight at the Fortress recapping game one and a terrible Tuesday after not having one last week so this is true we've got plenty of terrible Tuesday thoughts plus we got aces tomorrow night as well too as the New York Liberty comes to town so a busy Las Vegas sports week for ballpark Frank TC Martin saying so long if you miss any part of the show go to the website check it all out tcmartinshow.com